Good morning. Those of you who uh, were here in the fall when I was preaching and, and we had that uh, bulletin confusion about the text, and I said that it was because I didn't proofread the, the bulletin, and then I pledged solemnly that I would never let that happen again on my honor as a preacher. Do you remember that? Well, I'm sorry. So... Uh, this is this is on me. I, I I didn't look. I didn't say I looked in the thread. Okay, that would be bad. But I just didn't say anything or look. So we're going to go back to chapter twenty-one, and then we're going to go through the last fi- the first five verses of the chapter um, twenty-two, which are in your bulletin. So my apologies for that. I've got my phone here, which has got really small font in it. So I'll do my best. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your, mer- your mercy to us. I pray you would instruct us in the way we should go. Who are you? What have you done? And what should we do to live for you in that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to set this up, David has uh, left. He's left the court of Saul. He's just had an encounter with Jonathan, which is rather elaborate and beautiful and substantial in its own right, of course. But we've skipped that chapter, and David, having learned that Saul does indeed still plan to kill him, he makes his way into the wilderness. Then David came to Nob, to Abimelech, the priest. And Abimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Abimelech, the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered to the priest, truly women have been kept from us As always when I go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, that is the bread that would sit for a day before um, the holy of holy places, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Then David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish and Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. 
in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And they were with him, about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And he left them in the land of the king of Moab. And they stayed with him all the time David was in the stronghold. And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. Amen. So this will start a journey of David that will last all the way through the end of, of the book of 1 Samuel. These were originally one book. We've divided them um, somewhat according to their theme, but um, also arbitrarily. This journey doesn't really settle itself. David's not fully ensconced till he uh, captures Jerusalem in, in 2 Samuel. So this starts a long run when David is without a home, um, but with a kingdom. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about um, this reality that all of our life is lived in the wilderness and only the true David can make it safe. All of life, no matter how comfortable or well ensconced we are in our homes and in our culture, if we don't understand that this place is a wilderness, we, we won't be safe because we won't look to the true king to protect and to guide us. So if you want to learn one thing this morning, learn this. You're not home. And the more comfortable and the more secure you are, well, the more you need to learn that. Because that's not how life works in the wilderness. So let's take a look at David in the wilderness. And then we're going to do one of my favorite things um, we're going to take a little exegetical excursion into the New Testament. And I am so excited about it. I can't wait to get to the middle of the sermon. Um, but it, it is a little wonky, but we're, I'm hopefully I can make it relevant to you. And then we're going to talk about, uh, that's going to be Jesus in the wilderness. And then we're going to talk about all the rest of us in the wilderness. So let's take a look at this really bizarre passage um, where David is in the wilderness. And I want us to see um, three things about David in the wilderness. The, the first is that the presence of God goes with him into the wilderness. The, the second is that David is um, the king of kings, the king of the nations in the wilderness. And, and the third is that in the wilderness, David gathers his kingdom. Now, all these three things are important about David in the wilderness because they're going to teach us about how we live in the wilderness. The presence of God continues with him um, we'll see the significance of his moment in Gath, which, listen, if I was 10, I didn't really know the Bible when I was 10, but if I, had, if I knew a guy in my scriptures 
was like acting crazy and letting spit run down his beard and scrub. That would just be a great story. I don't know why we don't do VBS about David, the crazy man in Gath. But maybe this church could be the one to do it. And then he gathers around himself a bunch of malcontents. So let's just take a look at each one of these venues. David's on the run and he comes to Gath. I mean, excuse me, he, he comes to, to, to Nob. And this one sort of makes the most strategic sense. He's after something. Well, first of all, he's after getting away from Saul. So it's probably true that David just flew somewhere and got out of the way of Saul's continued wrath. But his instinct takes him to where the tabernacle of the temple is. Um, He asks eventually for um, Goliath, the big giant sword. Now, it's almost certain that David would have known where the sword was. So he's probably looking for, for weaponry. Uh, and he makes his way there, but understand how isolated he is. This, the word is out now that there is tension in the kingdom because um, the priest, Ahimelech, is afraid to see him, and he knows he's alone without his troops. So he understands immediately that this person poses a threat, that there is, if you will, there are competing kingdoms and allegiances. And the man on the throne now, though rejected, which everyone would have heard of by now, is, um, well, he's not only not stable, but he's actually mean. And so David's first encounter in the presence of the tabernacle is that the intercessor for the people of God, Ahimelech, is afraid of him. And so that's one of the signals of David being in the wilderness, even though he's still in the promised land, is that David's not at home, even in the temple. But then he asks for some bread. And as I mentioned during the reading, in a little parentheses, the bread would have been set out before the Lord and baked and been an offering to him. And then it would be then taken out and only the priests could eat it. It was called the bread of the presence. And there's no, other, um, there's no other bread available, which is odd in and of itself. Um, you know, there's, there's family members and, uh, that have to eat that couldn't eat the bread of the presence. So there's an emphasis being put on here in the, in the art of the narrative. And, and interestingly, uh, neither Ahimelech nor David asked for any of that other bread that would have reasonably been around town. God's pointing us to the bread of his presence, the bread that's eaten with him. And as you know, the story goes, and those uh, um, bizarre things David says, we're forced to understand the ambiguity of his situation. So let me, let me ask you this. Is, is, David, is David lying? Is it okay for David to lie? Can we lie? Would Jesus lie? Well, I'll just use those teasers. You know, there's, there's some explanations for that. First of all, David does deceive in warfare a number of times, and he's certainly in a, in a um, combatant situation here. But I, I think there's something more important going on than that question that can grab our attention, and rightly so. David says he's on a mission from the king. Well, you know he's not on a mission from a king, don't you? Or do you? Which king and which mission? Because, because David 
has been made the king by the king. And so David is living in this, in this ambiguity. Is he shrewd or, or sinful? Or maybe flat out telling the truth. David could have sent himself on a mission as a king. Because he truly is. He truly is. But what happens? Well, David is given the bread of the presence. And so what we're told about being in the wilderness with the, ultimately with the true king, what, what we're told is that the presence of God goes with the people into the wilderness. Well, we know that, don't we? The pillar and the cloud, we, we, we know that, right? We, we, we're going to learn it from the New Testament too. We, we know that too. But, but the true king enjoys the true presence of God and so will his people. See, Jesus for all of us and David for his troops here in a little while, he, he made um, that, that centered kingdom that was on the great mount in Jerusalem, uh, well, it traveled. It traveled with the king when the king was sent away from it. Because where the king is, that's where the presence of God is. Where the true anointed is, that's where God reigns. And that's where he brings his blessings. So although you're not at home, and that's really the lesson I want you to learn today, you're not home. But God is always with you. God is forever with you. If you go with Christ, you go with the presence of the Lord. Well, as if this... um, you know, as if that's not odd enough, David, on the edge of truthfulness and, and talking about sensitive things, you know, in the passage, which Hebrew loves to do. That's just, you know, just really not concerned about our sensibilities a lot. Um, then it gets really weird because this next part of David's journey is really hard to explain. You know, do you remember who's from Gath? Goliath was from Gath. And so David thinks it's smart now in his journey of running away from and trying to spare his life. And he's clearly afraid. Don't think David was never afraid. Read the Psalms. Do you think David was a stoic? You need to read the Psalms again that he wrote. Those are the poems of of the Hebrew Scriptures. So David goes to Gath for some inexplicable reason. I think probably because he was just scared and maybe he thought that, that Saul, who was so chicken-hearted, he would never go to the king of the Philistines. You know? So David runs out there, and, and he finds himself in the, in the uh, house, or at least the city of Achish, the king of the Philistines. Well, it's going to get even weirder, but before it gets weird, um, I want you to see something significant. Uh, in verses 11 and 12, we find the very first time anyone but God calls David the king of Israel. That's very significant. Is this not David, the king of the land? Coming from the Goyim, from the Gentiles, the first declaration of the monarchy of David doesn't come from God's people. It comes from a bunch of Gentiles like, like most of us. 
All of us, maybe, I don't know. That is richly significant because it it prefigures what we know about the reality of the son of David and his kingdom. But after this validation, we, we, learn, we learn something also significant, that, that this king, though recognized, is, um, well, he's so different. He is, he is so vulnerable in the midst of the world that, well, you know the scene, right? He's dribbling, he's scratching on the wall. Think of David. First of all, there's a certain kind of tactical genius in David. He's got, he's got one sword and he's got all the king and his stuff, right? So what is he going to do? So he's like, well, act nuts. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to act like a crazy man. I'm going to get so crazy they don't want anything to do with me. But, but he's also, we're also getting a picture of the absurdity of, of really this whole display of everything that's happening here this morning and the ridiculousness of the reality that you and I um, follow a king who sit at the right hand of God and conquered death. Now, I think it's true. You'll be glad to know. But there is a, there is a, a radical, sanctified absurdity to it based on the presumption of the world. So, God is with you and you're crazy. Well, you're not crazy. The world is broken. The world is upside down and backwards. The world sees everything in a circus mirror. But if, if you're the last sane woman on the planet, guess what the world will think of you? The world will think you're crazy. That's, that's just our lot. Well, David's going to get out of this mess now and he's going to go to Adullam. I want to tell uh, um, an account from my childhood at when we did our grand tour, I probably told story the King Tut thing. Remember, after we left, after we left there, we were going to go to Greece, and we were at the hotel in um, Cairo. And all I remember, and all my siblings remember, is spending nine hours in the lobby of the hotel while my parents were super stressed. And this was back when you needed health certificates to travel. So we were like doing quarantine and verification of vaccines before it was cool. This was like 1973. And um, my parents, we found out later, lost them. So they're freaking out because not, we're not going to get into Greece unless we have three weeks of quarantine in the desert outside of Cairo. And they look and look and look and they can't find them. And this is not recommended. That 10-year-old I was just talking to a minute ago, this is not recommended. But finally... Finally, my dad pulled aside our guide and said, what can we do? And the guide said, I know somebody. And so um, <laughs> this, uh, they went to the back of the hotel. It's a pretty nice hotel. Went to the back and, and this guy opened up all these, <laughs> all these Egyptian health cards, you know. And he scribbles them all out. It wasn't in English. You know, none of the cards were in English. The, you know, none of, and it was English. And then the guy says, my dad says, how much does he want? This is not recommended, 10-year-old. And uh, the guy goes, so the guy goes in this whole thing about how he's sorry. They see people, Americans, they think they're rich. His people are very poor. My dad's thinking, I've got, we're going home. Like, I'm going to spend all my money, and now we're going to go home. 
And, uh, the guy, and he's going back and forth. He goes, just tell me what he wants. And he goes, 20 American dollars. And my dad gave him 50 and we left. We got to Greece. The guy looked at it, looked at the first one at the border crossing. And he looked at the first one. I don't know what he was thinking. Like, this is an American family and these are not in American-ish. And he, and he looked at the first one. He goes, are these all the same? And I goes, yep. And he, and he pushed this through. My, my, parents, my parents got to the hotel in Greece and found the real ones. So what's the story? First of all, it's a great story, and that deserves something. Um, but secondly, it, it illustrates the, the terrible ambiguity of living where you're not at home. And, and I think that... that um, you know, I'm not going to judge my dad for, for, for that. You know, he's got to, you know, really, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm not saying I would do it. I'm not saying I wouldn't. So the, uh, what I'm saying is that, that if your life is never ambiguous and complicated, maybe you're just too much at home here. Maybe you've, you've crossed the borders too fluidly. And that might be something to think about. So then David ends up down in Adullam. And uh, this is great. He's the, he's, this is the first church planting core group recorded in the Bible. You know, all the people are like in debt and bitter and everything. You know, it's like, yeah, let's plant a church with these folks. But what's significant about it is that not only does the presence of of uh, of God go and the affirmation and validation of his kingdom. But David's kingdom grows in, in the wilderness. The, the, we thrive. The, the less at home we are, the, the more we, we thrive, the more compressed our faith becomes, the, the stronger its jet stream. And David starts to gather this not so subtle hint that, that there are um, a whole group of people who he's going to command, he's going to, he's going to build a, a, a kingdom around him who are distressed and, and oppressed through debt and bitter of soul. They, they gather to him. He's building a new, a new nation. So there you have it. That's David in the wilderness, and it's going to be you in the wilderness too. You know, realize that you're not at home, but God's presence goes with you realize that, that the king is validated by the nations, and that's happening in your lifetime, by the way. Um, this is the most explosive era of Christian growth in our history. Far and away, outstripping relative to um, population. This is way more than happened in the book of Acts. Way more. Substantial growth all over the world. You live in that. You live in that validation. That's your home. You're more at home in a church in Malawi than you are um, over in the Meridian Village. Because those are your people and that's your home. And the only thing you've got to get used to is hanging around losers like yourself. Because that's what, that's what we've got to be. That's who Jesus loves him, some people like this. And then he gathers us together. So I promise this fun part, you're like, is this the middle? 
No. Um, I meant the middle thematically, not chronologically. So don't, don't worry about that. But um, I, I just want you to see this. And it is, um, there's instructive elements in it. I, I, one of them, though, is I just want you to see how beautiful the Bible is. Okay? And how many layers there are in it. And then we'll get to some applications. But if you look at Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 6, you, you find Jesus in the wilderness. This is recorded in all three of the, of the first three Gospels. And all of these elements are in the first accounts. Um, when Jesus takes his disciples out on the Sabbath and they open the grain up, okay? And um, then the Pharisees come. Pharisees were like the hardcore religious uh, right, frankly, of the, of the era. And they're like all on them for harvesting on the Sabbath and breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus mentions this account. He said, don't you know that David ate the, sh- the showbread in Nob? Jesus is, is, of course, in the wilderness. Jesus is gathered his people, as we'll see in a minute. And Jesus alludes to this very thing. Now that's significant because Jesus is telling us that, that he brings with him the presence of God where, wherever he goes. And he makes us clean to enjoy the presence of God wherever he goes. But then there's something that's really subtle that you have to be um, kind of wonky or dig in deep to, to catch on to. The very next thing that happens in all these accounts, and in, in, in Luke 6 especially, is that a man with a shriveled hand comes up at, a, at the next Sabbath. And all the same dudes are there watching to see if he's going to heal the guy on the Sabbath. Well, um, it doesn't seem like anybody with a broken hand was in our story there in, in Samuel, did it? But, but here's what I want you to know. So I love about and I want you to love about Scripture. The word hand is used 103 times in Samuel. Sometimes it just means hand. But more often, it's with some artful significance. David says, he will not, Goliath, God will not deliver us into Goliath's hand. Saul had his spear in his hand when he threw it. Saul wanted David to go into the hands of the Philistines. David famously said, I will not put my hand against the Lord's anointed. The priests of Nob, he asked them twice, what do you have at hand? Do you have a sword at hand? Do you have a bread at hand? And then he splits out of Gath, remember, because he didn't want to fall into the Philistines. What? You're good. You're good. And so this illusion is developed, this idea of of grip and um, skill and health, and vigor, and dominion, by which we take our hand over, it's gathered right into this passage in the Gospels. And Jesus restores the man's hand. That's pretty subtle, but once you see it, it's pretty significant. It's not accidental. You know, these guys knew, the, knew their Bible. And of course, so did the Holy Spirit. But, but what I find also remarkable is that at the end of these, each one of these accounts, all these broken people come to Jesus. That's how all these accounts go. He eats, what he, he eats the bread of the presence. He restores the hand. And then broken people come to him and he builds his kingdom. 
You know, you are with Jesus in his kingdom. And I want you to see the magnificence and the foresight and the art and the brilliance and the sovereignty and the elegant finesse of God's providence to show us so long before what he would do so long after and what he's still doing even right now. It's magnificent. So that's it. Thank you for indulging that for, with me. I, I want you to see how glorious your king is and how beautiful his word is. And if you're bored with his word, I don't. I'm not going to say every morning when I read it. I'm like, wow. Okay. But when I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's on me. So what are you going to do now? How are you going to live like this? Um, First thing I want you to do about your own wilderness is don't be fooled by a prosperous, peaceful wilderness. We've, we've said this before. Just don't be fooled by how comfortable you are, if you're comfortable. I don't know your circumstances. But I think I'm looking at a lot of people who got a lot of what they want, like the people in my church, like me. And that doesn't make it home in, in, in ways that makes it dangerous. You know, this guy named Doeg, this guy that ends up getting all the priests killed. There's like a dough egg everywhere in your life, you know? You're just sitting there over in the corner waiting to mess with you. This place is, is broken. And, and even when it's soft and even when it's beautiful, you need to learn to hold it loosely and, and um, understand that this is not your home. If you've been given a really super comfortable tent to roam around in the wilderness with, then praise God, thank God for that. Share it with others, okay? But um, don't dig your stakes in too deeply because you're going to have to move that thing. That can't be where you're from. You're in the wilderness now. It's the way it is. So get used to, get used to loss. Jonathan is gone. Samuel is gone. Um, he's no longer in a, in a while going to have his brothers, even though they came back. He, he doesn't have a Michael, his wife. He doesn't have a tabernacle after Nob. He's going to go from Nob to Gath to Adullam to Moab to the borderlands. David's life is going to be full of loss. Just have to get, get used to that. You have to get, understand how do we do loss when we can keep everything? Well, it starts with your heart. You know, do you... Where does your security and where does your comfort come from? That's the first part. The second part is, why don't you give away some of your stuff? Make it a little less homey. You, you're asking yourself, is he talking about money? Yes. And all the other things that make you comfortable. You say, is he talking just to me? And I say, no, I'm talking to myself too. Live as if this place is not your home and come to terms with loss. And if you, if you have to generate your own loss as an offering to God of time, of money, of reputation, of getting what you want, well, lose because you can't outgive God. So, next thing that I want you to know is um, that you're going to have to hang around with people like this. 
So don't be fooled. Lose things and hang around with other broken people. Your fellowship with one another is essential. And the, the more angular they are, the more disappointing they are. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. When they're angular, when they're disappointing, when they hurt you, when they're not cool, when they don't agree with you, okay? Understand that that's the way the people of God have been since the cave at Adullam. And that's the way they were in the Galatian church and the Corinthian church and the Ephesians church and the Boise church. That's just the way we are. You know, the church is not Rivendell. We're full of people like in a cave. That's what we're doing here. So, so be ready for that. A couple other little things. Uh, two, two more things. One, feast when you can. That's what I love about this story with Jesus and David and the, and the bread. Hey, I'm not trying to prescribe a life of a desert monk to you. You know, I was at the yard house last night. I was not like doing the aesthetic thing. Like I wasn't, you know, behave myself. But I'm just saying I wasn't fasting. You know, this actually can enrich your life as a, as a wilderness survivor enriches the joy and satisfaction you have in one another and in God's feasting. One last thing, and then, and then I'll, I'll close out. Um, just jump ahead. We'll look at it soon. In 23, so right after this passage that we read, Doeg goes, tells the Saul. Saul goes, kills all the, all the priests in, of Nob. And um, David is off, and he's hiding, and the people of Keilah, one of the towns, are attacked by the Philistines. And David goes and saves them with his kingdom and his men. So we're in a wilderness here, but we're in the wilderness here for a purpose. We're here to help. We're here to risk ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves, to give ourselves. So where's your home? If your home is in heaven, if, and this is a wilderness, then you're free to love the people around you and, and all around you in Boise, but also right here. Hey, I, I grew up in St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis for 30 years. And uh, St. Louis is a, is a neat place. I love it. I love my family there. I, I grew up in a part of it that people like to go back to. I have a lot of friends who never left Webster Groves. And good for them. But, but this year, this last year, marked 30 years out of my hometown and 30 years in it. Now, that sounds like back to the 10-year-old kid, you're like, oh my goodness, is this guy talking about being old now? Well, yes, I am. So that's, you don't get everything you want out of a sermon. But I'm talking about learning where your home is, learning where you're from. And maybe the question that we need to ask is not where am I from, but where am I to? And we're to a much better place than this wilderness could possibly offer us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercies. I pray you would, you would bless and keep us, that you'd help us to live well here and to make our home somewhere else. How that would 
in your mercies enrich the abundant blessings around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.